Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, well, welcome to our current series, Thrones. Good news, they're going to kick off this service with a live joust. I need two volunteers right now. Two volunteers? Yeah, I know. You're like, man, I hope he doesn't have sweaty hands today. You know, pay attention to the first row. If it's your first time, welcome. My name's Tim, one of the pastors here, and this is our series, Thrones. What you need to know is that Liquid Church, we are one church, but we have multiple locations. So there are people who are joining us right now in Nutley, New Brunswick, and Mountainside. Would you give them a hand? Welcome. Glad you guys are with us. You're listening on the radio or online. Thrilled that you're here. Really throws this epic series about two kings from the Old Testament who were at war with each other. On the one hand, King Saul. Introduced you to him last week. Saul was 30 years old when he took the throne of Israel. He reigned there 42 years. On the other hand, King David, who was just a boy, when God said, I want that guy in the sheep pen, and this prophet Samuel anointed him, and God said, here's the deal. Saul has disobeyed me, and so I'm taking away his throne and giving it to David. Now, what was so special about David? Here's what the Bible says. Take a look. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David. Let's read all the words in yellow out loud today. Ready? A man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Because he was a man after God's own heart, David eventually became the greatest king that Israel ever had. But his pathway, mark this, to the throne was anything but easy. In fact, we saw how David kind of blew up. He grew in popularity among the people after conquering Goliath the giant. He kind of achieved rock star status. It was like he was a boy band, right? Everywhere he went, girls shrieked, Saul's killed thousands, David is tens of thousands. Ah, it's one direction. Which, which upset Saul royally. Look what 1 Samuel 18 records. It says this, Saul was what? Very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? He's after my throne. And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Do you remember what happens next? This is like a TV series previously on Thrones. you. If it wasn't for him, we would all be slaves, and you would not be king. And with him, you never will be. Again, this is what you call a hostile work environment, all right? What do you do when someone you trust throws a spear at you? What, what do you do when your boss 
cuts you down at work in front of your coworkers, or a jealous teammate or rival cuts your legs out from underneath you. What do you do when somebody you thought was a friend stabs you in the back with gossip or someone uses their sharp words to slice and dice? Is there a Saul in your life? That's the question I asked every campus last week. And by the emails I received, it is pretty clear the spirit of Saul is alive and well in modern America. I heard from one man who wrote, Tim, the series cuts too close to home. I've been working for the same company for 10 years. This past fall, we downsized. My CEO gave me the job of flying around the country, firing my direct reports. It was very, very hard letting my friends go, but I'm loyal and I did it. The week after Christmas, he called me in and fired me. Served faithfully his company for 10 years. Trusted his boss, but when he was no longer of use, zing! Ooh, right in the eye. That's going to leave a mark. Ooh, yeah. His entire career gone in a day. Are you all right, ma'am? I probably... <laughs> That's what Saul does. He throws you away when you're no longer of use. What do you do when somebody abuses their authority over you? This is about authority. When the king goes mad or a superior bullies or berates you or plots against you, the question is, do you lash out in revenge or do you actually drop the spear and walk away? See, we noted that, to- that really Saul represents toxic leaders. Everybody has somebody in their life who is insecure or jealous, rules through fear and intimidation, or manipulates relationships, and because of that, their relationship turns toxic. There may be a toxic person in your family who's creating chaos in your home or your marriage, or a toxic coworker or friend who's comfortable with sharp objects. And let's be honest, when somebody takes out a spear and they try to take off your head, what's our natural response? Duck. And then chuck, you chuck it right back at him, right? Yeah, that's our natural response, retaliation. But in 1 Samuel, David did something incredible. Instead of duck and chuck, he said, no, 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 no. That's not how I'm taking the throne. Through violence or vengeance, this throne is God. God has the authority in my life, and all authority comes from him, not me. And so I'm going to trust him to elevate me at the right time. On his path to the throne, David became very adept at dodging spears. And it didn't just happen once or twice. 1 Samuel 19 records an evil spirit from the Lord. Go ahead. Came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the harp. Next slide. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night, David made good his what? His escape. David was attacked on multiple occasions and every single time he returned good for evil. He trusted God. He said, I refuse to strike back and become King Saul II. I will not do it. And that is a challenge to you and me, isn't it? Because anytime a follower of Jesus Christ is betrayed or attacked with gossip or lies or somebody breaks your trust, you have a choice. Do you strike back with the spirit of Saul or respond with the spirit of Christ. Because a thousand years later, that is the true king that David foreshadows. And scripture says, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not what? Retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Who is scripture talking about? David's descendant. A thousand years later, Jesus Christ in the New Testament and his descendants, you and me, Now watch if you're a Christian, because then Peter says, to this 
you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you what? An example that you should follow in his steps. See, suffering always reveals who's sitting on the throne of your heart. In a time of trouble, do you really trust God enough to believe even when attacked, he's working all things together for my good and his glory? Or do you believe, I got to defend myself. If I don't, nobody else will. I'll be all alone. I got to guard what I have. See, the Lord's true anointed, a woman or a man after God's own heart, can walk away with clean hands, even if it costs them dearly. They may lose the kingdom. They may lose their job. They may lose their reputation. They may lose their friends, but they can never lose the love of God. Amen? It can never touch who they are in Christ. David didn't let Saul turn his heart bitter. It made his faith better. So he actually leaves the palace all alone and becomes a man on the run. Did you know this? Saul hunted David like a dog for 10 years. God said, you're going to be on this throne one day, but you're going to spend a decade in the desert first as a man on the run. And that reveals something about God's plan for your life, doesn't it? Because as believers in Christ, what that means is you are anointed. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are heirs, co-heirs with Christ to the throne of heaven. But sometimes before God exalts us, he has to exile us first. Sometimes in his sovereignty, God actually leads us into a very dry and barren place, a place of pain and suffering where we feel all alone. And notice this, it's not to punish us, but to do a deeper work in our heart, to cut away the spirit of King Saul II and give us a heart after his own. Jesus was acquainted with sorrow, familiar with suffering. So was David. That's where we pick up our story today. Episode two, I'm calling it Cry from a Cave. So would you open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 22? Again, all of our campuses, just open up the Bible. We gave you one today. If you didn't have one, it's on your chair. I want to read this together. Here's what it says. It says, David left Gath. This was Philistine territory. And he escaped to, let's see if we can pronounce this together. Ready? The cave of Adulam. It's, it's, it's Adulam. If you ever watch like Lord of the Rings, it's like the mines of Mordor by the cave of Adulam, you know? Okay? This is the lowest point in David's life. He leaves the castle and he ends up where? In a cave. That's fitting. What are caves? What are caves like, right? Caves are dark, yeah? Caves are damp. They're a place of hopelessness and despair, which is, must have been how David felt. Hopeless. Despondent. All alone. Think of everything David left behind. He lost his wife, Michal. He lost his best friend, Jonathan. He lost his position in the palace. He left behind everybody that he knew and loved. David has nothing. He's gone from castle to cave like that, and he's all by himself. He's dazed and confused. That's God's chosen path to the throne for David. I wonder what was going through his mind. What goes through your mind when you find yourself in a dark place? I was talking with a neighbor uh, this week who recently got divorced. I haven't seen him in, in over a year. They lived next to us, but then he, the, the, there was a betrayal. The marriage turned toxic. Spare the details. Lawyers divided the kingdom. The wife stayed in the house, but then he actually moved into a one-bedroom apartment. I saw him at uh, my daughter's basketball game. And I said, hey, dude, good to see you. you know, how are you doing? It was amazing because he was super honest. He said, Tim, honestly, it's been surreal. One moment, I'm living the dream. Wife, kids, I got a dream house. I got a dream job. 
And now I come home on the train to my one-bedroom apartment and eat takeout in front of the TV. And I kind of, you know, I kind of wince. I was like, he goes, no, nah, dude, living the dream, right? What I realize is that my neighbor is in a very dark place. He has gone through a season of destruction and loss and become a cave dweller. And maybe you have too. Maybe something's happened in your life that has taken you to a dark place. Something that happened with your kids or is going on right now in your marriage. I mean, all it takes is a phone call, right, from the doctor's office that actually says, no, everything's not all right. There's a chance of malignancy. And you're like, what? <clears throat> World goes dark. Or you meet with a study team at school and they say, hey, your three-year-old actually registers along the autistic spectrum. And you're like, what? What? It's overwhelming. We enter the cave when we get a pink slip that says, thank you for your service. We don't need you any longer. Or when a husband or wife says, I don't actually want you any longer. Life can lead us to a very dark place where our faith feels shaken or even depression sets in. But watch, this is where David shines a light for us. What was going through David's mind right now in the cave? You don't have to guess. He left a record. David actually kept a diary of his time in the cave. A little book in the center of your Bible called, anybody? The Psalms. What did David do for 10 years running from Saul? He composed some of the richest hymns of the hurting that this broken world has ever known. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Put your finger in 1 Samuel and flip over to Psalm 142. The word psalm means song. It's a sacred song. And David was a songwriter. Did you know that? He was a warrior, but he was also a worship leader of God's people. And all told, David actually wrote 73 psalms or songs, many of them while hiding from Saul in this cave. Now, look in your Bible at the heading of Psalm 142. Do you see what it says? It says, a masculine of David. That's just a literary term. Let's read it together. When he was in where? The cave. This, you're about to read David's mail. This is the prayer he wrote to God before he was a king. Think about this. This is so cool because you're about to get a glimpse into the inner life of David before he takes the throne. And if you're in a dark place today, this is going to give you such hope. If you're here today and you feel overwhelmed or depressed, take heart. God meets David in his darkness. Let's read this together. David's diary, Psalm 142. He writes this. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my what? My complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. Just stop right there. Just stop right there. You need to know this is a psalm of lament. What that means is it's a song of sorrow. That's the largest category of psalms in the Bible. And the words you're about to read may seem a little surprising because if you think of how most Christians pray, sometimes we're very proper and polite, aren't we? I remember as a young boy being kind of confused when uh, the pastor would get up because offstage, like, he would just be like, hey, Tim, what's going on? But on stage, he was like a Shakespearean actor. Lord, we thank thee for thy goodness and thy bounty. Speak to thy servant. Thine ears are listening. And offer is like, hey, you want to go out to Arby's? You know, it's just, it was weird. That's how a lot of Christians approach God in prayer with language that's formal and flowery. Not David. David's prayers are raw and real. I want you to imagine right now, you're out in the desert. You're actually hiking in the Judean desert. And you see this guy up on a cliff. And you hear him going, he's yelling, he's gesticulating, he's standing in front of a cave. And you hike closer and you realize it's actually a man yelling. Watch, read it. I cry loud. 
to the Lord. Lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. You'd be like, look, it's Charlie Sheen. That's amazing. You're like, wait. You'd be confused. And suddenly we discover another reason David's a man after God's own heart. He was honest to God. Vulnerable. He was real in his prayers. When he was angry, he told God he was angry. When he was hurting, he told God he was in pain. He cried aloud. He lifted his voice. I'm pouring my complaint down. I'm telling you my trouble. Look at verse 3. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Saul's trying to trap me right now. Look and see. There's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. It's a little intense. David needs a Xanax. What's going on? He feels overwhelmed. Dare we say depressed. Ever feel that way? Like nobody cares what happens to you. David had good reason. But watch what happens. Through his prayer of lament, he actually, God pulls him out of his tailspin and reminds him of his unshakable love and faithfulness. I cry to you, Lord, and I say, let's say this together. Powerful. Ready? You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Every follower of Jesus Christ needs a refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is simply a safe place to hide and heal when our heart's hurting. It's, it's a shelter that is actually safe and secure. When everything's falling apart in his life, David cries out to the Lord and he says, the cave is my refuge. No, he says, you, the Lord, you're my refuge. You're the place where I hide when my heart's hurting. During his day of darkness, David found refuge in the Lord. Can I ask, where do you run for refuge when your life bottoms out? Or you get that rogue email? Or when trouble comes, do you run, you run somewhere for refuge. Where do you run? David runs straight to the throne of his Lord and Savior. And that's an example for us. Whenever God leads one of his children to a dark place, there's a temptation for us to run to false refuges. Paul David Tripp, in his excellent book, Dangerous Calling, he says, you know, maybe you run to other people, you know, and kind of, you call up your bestie and vomit all over her. This is what they did to me, you know? Or maybe you run to entertain me. You just watch TV, you know, to numb your troubles. Or maybe you run to, you know, drugs or, or that third glass of wine, right, to kind of numb out. Or food or sex. We try to push pain away with pleasure. That's how it works in, the, in our world, doesn't it? At least it does for me, okay? Man, when I'm stressed out, or I'm just like going through something jacked up at work, I know exactly where my first refuge is, the snack cabin in our pantry, okay? There is nothing that a cool bag of ranch Doritos cannot fix in my life. I will plop down in front of Sports Center. I will watch highlights on loop, okay? The problem with numbing out to our pain is that it's numbing. It's like Novocaine to our heart. And you can't have a heart for God if your heart is numb. You wind up more depressed than ever, don't you? I've never actually met anybody who says, man, I just spent an hour eating nachos and watching TMZ. I feel refreshed. I'm like a new man now, right? It's just the opposite. You feel worse. Why? Because none of those counterfeits provide refuge that your soul needs except the love of Christ. Renewing ourselves. Numbing, numbing only adds to the pain once the buzz wears off. Scripture says, God is your refuge in a time of trouble. 
Because only Christ rules the relationships where your trouble exists. Only God controls the situations that's stressing out your soul. Only Christ can give you the grace that you need to face what you're facing. And if you're facing a hard decision, only God says, I can give you wisdom. But you need to run to me. I need to be your refuge. Do you run to him? David does. Look at verse 6. He says, listen to my cry, for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they're too strong for me. He's like, I'm overwhelmed, man. Set me free from my prison. The walls are closing in. Say this together. This is so important. That I may praise your name. That's what I love about the Psalms. No matter how down David gets, he never loses sight of God. No matter how depressed and, and, and down, he eventually lifts his eyes to God on his throne and he pours forth praise. You ever notice that about the Psalms? They, they suddenly like kind of switch on you. That's why it's hard for believers to read because you open your Bible and you read the Psalms and like the first, you're like, I'm looking for some encouragement today. And the first verses are like, God strike the wicked. Destroy my enemies. Break their teeth on the rocks. And then it's like, for my heart trusts in you. The king is filled with peace. I think the king's bipolar, okay? Because they say, that's not what's going on here. David isn't bipolar. He's praying through his pain with the Lord. First, he looks inward. This is what's happening in my heart. And then he looks upward, asking God to rest and repair and heal it. He's processing his pain with the Lord, which is a fundamentally different response to suffering than our world teaches us, isn't it? Think about sports. When an athlete gets an injury, you got to play through pain. In football, that's what football players do, right? If you fracture your ribs, hey, we're going to tape them up. We're going to give you a shot of cortisone. Now you get back on the field and you play through it, okay? It's like the injury never occurred. But God says, no, no, that's, that's not how I handle hurt. You're my child. And if you've been injured, I want to know about it because I love you. And I want to help and I want to heal you. You don't blow it off. You bring your pain to me. Tell me what's going on. Let me give you comfort. Let me give you rest. David finds refuge in the Lord, and God heals his heart. Do you know what the Psalms, this, this journal is? This journal is just God draining the poison from David. That's what time in God's presence does. Suffering either makes us bitter or it makes our faith better. It either turns us into King Saul with a hard heart or tenderizes our spirit like David. But you've got to be honest with God about what you're going through. Let me ask you this. Is this what your prayers sound like? Think about your prayer life this past week. Is this, if we looked at your journal, okay? Because sometimes we toss a cliche or two at God and we call it a prayer. But when you stay superficial in your prayers, your relationship with God stays superficial. David's words go much deeper to the raw condition of his soul he pours out his emotions, his feelings, and he's not shy about it. In fact, it's only when conversations are raw and vulnerable that you can be known, loved, and healed. Amen? So if you're going through a dark place, God is actually inviting you to pray through your pain like David did. And don't worry, he can take it. You're not going to scare God away with your anger. If you're like, why did he let this happen to me? Or your tears. Or even your doubts. You ever, I talked to someone at their last service. They said, Tim, this is what my family is going through. It has rocked our faith. I'm like, what kind of God would allow this? I can't pray. I'm like, that's exactly when God wants you to pray. He welcomes your doubts and tears and anger. One of my favorite movies is The Apostle with Robert Duvall. You ever see that? 
In it, he plays a preacher named Sonny, and he's far from a saint. He's very real, very earthy. And Sonny loved God uh, very much, but his world falls apart when he discovers his wife having an affair with another minister, okay? It takes him to a very dark place. But what Sonny does next is what he always does when he's upset. Sonny prays. And there is this scene in which Robert Duvall prays aloud in his bedroom, and it's raw and it's honest, and I think it gives us a glimpse of what David did in the cave at Adulam. Hashtag my wife, they stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and a once in a while woman, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. that he's, I tell you, ever since he was a little bitty boy, he sometimes talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells at the Lord, and tonight he just happens to be yelling at him. Well, could you tell him to talk a little softer or whatever, because people got to get their sleep into it. You know what time it is? Hello? Now I'm calling Sometimes he talks to the Lord, sometimes he yells to the Lord, and today he's yelling. I've always called you Jesus, you always called me Sonny. Give an answer, Jesus. I think that's what a lot of David's psalms are like, like you're eavesdropping on a lover's quarrel with God. And that's a model for you and me. God welcomes our raw and real dialogue because you're his child. You're his son and daughter in Christ. Notice God placed the Psalms at the center of your Bible. It's his way of saying, I am at the center of your storm, and I covet your cries from the cave. If you want to find refuge in me, you just better be raw and real and honest, because no matter what you're going through, I want to be your refuge. I can give you grace and strength, but you have to be honest. So if you're in a dark place today, take heart. If you feel like your prayer life, by the way, has stalled, If you're like, man, I don't pray like that. I haven't prayed in days. I just feel stuck. Can I encourage you? Read the Psalms this week. In your program today, I printed several Psalms, six of them. Each one was handwritten by David while he was running from Saul. This is amazing to read these. I listed these in your notes. In fact, I was reading Psalm 57 just to get in the headspace today. And it was so interesting because all of a sudden they start making sense. In Psalm 57, he's like, I'm surrounded by men with sharp swords, arrows, and spears. It's not a metaphor. 
he's actually surrounded by men with spears and sharp swords. And it gives voice to us in an incredible way because you will hear in the Psalms men and women who are crying to God and singing at the same time at the top of their lungs. They confess sins. When David had an affair with Bathsheba, yes, he's a man after God's own heart. That happened. What? He writes a psalm. They hear men, men and women expressing their doubts. God, are you ever here if you were? Why would you let this happen? But you hear it all eventually turning into praise and worship. And you will find refuge and comfort as they point you to the unshakable power of God's love and forgiveness, even in a cave. So if you're looking to jumpstart your spiritual life this week, read the Psalms devotionally. Read the ones I included in your program because they're very, very rich. Better yet, for those of you who are advanced students, write your own. That's what I do. My prayer life is probably a little unconventional. You probably, most think people think of pastors praying and they got their hands folded in their eyes. They got a halo around their head. I have a hard time, okay, in, in, because my mind gets very, very busy. So instead, I keep a prayer journal like David did. This is actually one of them from 2001. And I have filled up page after page, journal after Sometimes I draw. <laughs> journal after journal pouring out my heart to God, processing my pain with him. I have done this for the last 14 years of my life. And when I look back at this today before the service, I was amazed. I got an entry here before Liquid launched. I said, Lord, what in the world are we doing? Are you even in this? I had people, some people criticizing chucking spears, and I'm like, maybe this isn't right. What do I do with them? Da, da, da. I've got entries in here when my, when my father was diagnosed with lymphoma. And I was scared. What would I do without losing my dad, the rock in my life? I got, some of them erupt into praise. This one is, is one of the most exciting entries. This is from when, the day before my daughter was born. I actually have her names listed here that we were like, God, you know, what, what's the name do you want us to give her? When she was born, it's like, praise God, praise God. You know, Colleen gave birth and not me. <laughs> you know, uh, you, uh, I got, you know, I got, I got psalms in here where I'm just like, it's my first year as a father. Lord, just let me sleep. If you have to kill me, let me sleep again, okay? You know what happens? When I look back at my prayers, it's amazing because they do seem a little schizophrenic. It's like there's highs and there's lows. And sometimes when I prayed, God would change the situation. But every single time he changed my heart. I don't know what your prayer journal would look like today if we took a look in it. But maybe God is using this event in your life to do a deeper work in your soul, actually preparing you for your next assignment. David was destined for a throne. You have a divine calling and a destiny in your life. But before God, he went from a castle and God led him to a cave. Why? Because in the cave... God kicked out his crutches and he tenderized his heart and he forged steel in David's spine as he sought refuge in the Lord. And David represents broken believers and leaders everywhere. He speaks to the heart of the hurting. Aren't you glad for his cry from a cave that he didn't give up or give in to despair? Instead, he sang and he worshiped and he processed his pain with God. In so doing, he became the greatest songwriter of hymns for the hurting that this whole broken world has ever known. God will use your pain if you let him. He will not waste a single drop. You may not know how right now, what you're going through, but God knows exactly how. And he's using it to shape your heart. See, God is guaranteed. He 
honors the prayers of broken believers. Because your heart is pure, not toxic like Saul's. And watch what God does. He answers David's prayer in Psalm 142 with this final promise. Look at your Bible. It says this. Then the righteous will gather about me because of what? Your goodness to me. David is all alone, but God says not for long. I heard your cry, and I'm going to gather the righteous about you. And that's exactly what happens at Adullam. Now watch. Flip back to 1 Samuel 22. David left Gath. He escaped to the cave. When his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. So David is first joined by his family. They enter the cave. P.S., which is a lesson if someone you love is in a dark place. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, this message isn't for me. I'm not in a dark place. I guarantee you know someone who is. Maybe they're in your family and maybe they are depressed. And listen, they may isolate. They may withdraw. They may push you away and say, leave me alone. I just need my space. God's calling you to go to them. If someone in your family is in a dark place, David's saying, you bring the light of Christ into that cave. You speak a word of hope. David's family surrounds him in this moment. They go into the cave, and then this is amazing. God sends a few more visitors, and these are kind of questionable. Look at verse 2. All those who were in what? Distress or in debt or discontented gathered around David, and he became their commander. About 400 were with him. Again, imagine you're, hanging, you're, you're hiking in the desert, and you see this guy yelling. He's on top of the cliff in front of a cave, and he's yelling and crying like, that's a madman. Then you see a guy scramble over the rocks, and he goes in the cave. What? What is that? And they see three more guys. And they scramble in, and they go in the cave. And then 10 men go in the cave. And then hundreds are pouring into this cave and suddenly realize what God's doing. He is raising up an entire army around David. There's just one problem. These aren't exactly the kind of people you want to share a cave with, are they? I call them the three Ds, okay? Those in distress, the Hebrew for this means they were under pressure, they were stressed out. Those in debt, it means they were overtaxed and they couldn't pay their bills. And those discontented, that just simply means their heart was already hard. They were bitter in their spirit. This motley crew of misfits. I want you to imagine a, bunk, a bunch of you know, angry people who feel overtaxed. It's like a tea party convention, all right? <laughs> what, what's the significance? In this moment, the whole nation is aching under the authority of King Saul. He mistreats his people. He overtaxes them. He's given them these wild mood swings. And they're all suffering. And they couldn't stand it any longer. And so David ends up with a cave full of outlaws. Can you imagine that? It's bad enough to be all alone in a cave feeling like a worm. Then 400 more worms crawl in with you, right? That's a mess. But God is at work here, amen? He's rerouting David's life. The cave is no longer his escape hatch. If you can believe it, this cave, this smelly, dank place, became the training ground for those who would one day be called David's mighty men of valor. In 2 Samuel, we're introduced to the mighty men of David. It was an elite group of warriors like the Navy SEALs who not only were courageous in battle, but they were given divine wisdom to lead the entire nation. That's right. This motley crew eventually became the core of David's military and leadership council after he took the throne of Israel. They were the first administration, the first cabinet guiding this nation, which is quite a testament to David's leadership. He became their commander. 
What a turning point in David's life when he made the decision not to tuck tail and run away, but seek refuge in the Lord instead. Who would have guessed that the heir to the throne was training his troops in an anonymous cave where nobody saw and nobody cared, nobody except God, who is ordering his every step to the throne. And in that cave, God was forging David's heart on the anvil of suffering. He wanted a different kind of king, a broken, humble king who would be tender and compassionate towards broken people. What drew them towards David? He didn't have a throne. He didn't have a spear. He didn't have a crown on his head. But David had heart. Heart that at its lowest point was alive and breathing with the spirit of the living God. They heard him singing and it was raw and soulful. And when he prayed, it was wild and loud. And they could tell this is a man who is anointed. He's not perfect, but he is deeply connected to the Lord. And that day in a cave, a new king got crowned. You in a cave today? Or are you just coming out of one? Or maybe you're about to go in one. If so, learn from David. Let God be your refuge. God is not done with you if you're going through a dark time. Amen? He loves you and he works all things together for your good and his glory. How many things? Which things? All things. You know what all things includes? All things includes your job loss. All things include your divorce. All thing includes that problem with the kids. All things includes your health crisis. God works all things together for good to those who love him. Every single person in this room will spend a season in the desert. And when you do, you may feel lonely, sad, angry, or abandoned, but that's not reality. Reality is God is your refuge in a time of trouble. And only Christ can provide the grace, the shelter, and the comfort you need in a time of trouble. So run to him this week. Run to the Psalms. Soak in David's hymns for the hurting. Take time to pray through your pain. Find refuge in the one that David called my strength, my shield, my rock, my fortress, my high tower. We know him by another name, just simply Jesus. Amen? He's our king, and he is still on the throne. So what I want to do right now is pray for every person who finds himself in a dark place at all of our campuses. So would you do this, all our campuses? Stand on up where you are. Stand up. Go ahead. We're going to bow our heads for prayer. And I'm going to pray. And then if, if, you need, if you'd like me to pray for you today, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come in a powerful way. Father God, we bow our heads right now. We come into your presence and we thank you for David, God. Thank you that through David we see the heart of God. That, Father, even when we feel all alone, when we feel gripped by fear, we're not alone. You are with us in our dark times. Father, right now, I pray for those in our congregation who are going through pain and suffering. I pray for people who are watching online or on iTunes or they're listening on the radio, God. And you appointed this time to speak with them. Father God, I ask right now, would you, out of your riches, pour out your Holy Spirit in a profound way on the men and women here? With all heads bowed, if you're here today, and you're like, man, I'm going through a dark time. I got a pretty stressful situation. And I want God's spirit to speak into that. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Just raise your hand. Just anonymous where you are. Hands up all over the place. Thank you for that. Praise God. Father, we're opening our hands because we're in need. We need a word from you. I pray right now for men and women who are facing decisions. Would you give your spirit of wisdom, divinely appointed, showing them 
the way to go. Speak over their ear. Let them hear it. Father God, I pray for moms and dads or parents who are facing situations with their children right now, Father God, that's closest to our heart. Would you cast out fear with the presence of Christ? Father, let them know that you have a future and you have good planned for them and you're going to prosper them, God. And I pray, Lord, for marriages that are hurting right now, relationships that are going through a dark time. Father, would you just speak your words of healing and give a spirit of reconciliation and work it all for good. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you are inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.